Well, hello, Harvest. Good to be with you, although it is virtual. Uh, it's been a crazy week, and <laughs> if you haven't heard, um, the reason we are not in person in our building is we had a pipe burst in the sanctuary and water spread throughout the entire building. So the good news is uh, Dean, uh, Dean Gad was able to get a, um, a mitigation company in uh, as early as yesterday, and they've already begun the process of uh, drying out the whole building, which will probably take at least a week to two weeks. And then from there, things like drywall and other things like that will be tackled. The other good news is that I've already been in contact with a couple churches who are open to uh, helping our church body in hosting us on potentially a Sunday night service or an odd time on a Sunday or Saturday. So more information about that um, coming up next week of where we will be gathering in person next Sunday, even though it won't be in our building. Um, so with that, uh, we have a sermon for this morning. And my hope is that... Um, as we're talking about community, maybe there is a different lens that God wants us to think about community as we don't have a building. And how for years and years and generations of believers, a building didn't make a church, but it was a people. Our mission statement, even as Alyssa just reminded me before we were filming, our mission statement is still just as valid as it was last week when we um, all of our building was intact, that we still uh, are a church that wants to gather as a family, grow as disciples of Jesus, and go to our neighbors in the nations. That last part, going to our neighbors in the nations, is going to be our focal point this morning as we talk about community as mission. But right now, we have an opportunity to try and gather together in some creative ways, which probably will mean us trying to reach out to one another and reach out to church staff or the elders, maybe more than we have in the past to stay connected when we don't have this, um, this massive meeting space for us to gather together in. So more information on that coming up. If we were meeting in person right now, I had a video clip that I was going to open our sermon with this morning. It's uh, a video clip that um, was put together by a group called Saturate. I think I've referenced them in the past, and they're all about talking about communities and healthy community groups and how to have like a, a system for that in your churches. This particular video uh, was one that was talking about community and mission. And what they had was a pendulum, and on one side they had community, and on one side they had mission. And they talked about how the life of the Christian often is like this pendulum that swings to extremes. Swings to having a life that's solely founded in community, deep community, but a lack of mission. Or at times, having Christians where their life revolves around mission but there isn't a place of depth of community. And so with that, they even went as far to say is the life of a believer that's only entrenched in community, but there's no mission, that can be codependency. Just a place where you need people and you need people to need you. Um, but then swinging to the other side is uh, if it's the life of the Christian is only mission with no community, 
that's like being mercenaries, just going off on our own without not just a sense of accountability, but a depth of the gospel working itself out in our lives through, I think as they put it, God, one of God's best apologetics, his church arm in arm together, growing together. And so the aim of the video was pretty much saying, how do we have both community and mission? And I've experienced that pendulum swing in my own life or in ministries and longed for youth group or in in young life or our church like how do we have this overlap of having depth of community but also being a community that's on mission together as a church we're seeking to grow in our practice of community in this season um, but how do we not get too inward focused how do we not lose sight of others out there, not just people in our church community. Maybe, especially as we don't have a building for the foreseeable future, there could be this tension or this pull for us to actually get more inward focused of we need to take care of these things before we can think about going to the nations, going to our neighbors. But scripture repeatedly paints the reality of living in this tension as God's people, a God, uh, a people that is entrenched in deep community, but a people that in community are on mission together. And so what does it look like for us, Harvest, to choose this third way, going this middle road, not swinging to one side or the other, as individuals and collectively as a church? Before we get into that more, would you pray with me? Lord God, we are in different spaces. Some of us, I think, in our community groups are trying to meet together right now, and we even thank you for the timing of that, Lord, to have these groups starting up as, as this weird, freaky thing just happened in our building. We trust, though, Lord, that it is not in the building of harvest that your presence dwells, but it's in your people. And so, Lord, would you help us to even slow down right now and not to just treat this time like a podcast, but time that we are hearing from you, time that your Holy Spirit wants to move in our midst, that your word is alive and active. Would you help us, Lord, to silence or quiet the distractions of our own hearts and minds, myself included, Lord, as my brain just wants to try to fix a bunch of things right now. Would you help us to be present with you? In your name, amen. So this ongoing pattern in scripture is God, people often experience this pendulum and most of the time where they swing too far is being this closed off community. But that's never the way God intended for his people to be. Um, God announces to the reality of uh, announces the reality to his people that they would be a people who go and they will struggle to do that well over and over again. Like Paul even talks about this later, that believers are to be a people that are in the world, but not of the world. And that we would feel that tension time and time again. In Genesis 12, we are introduced to Abram, or we probably know him better as Abraham who God has chosen to be the father of God's people, the father of a community where God is at the center. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis 12 with me. We're going to start right at verse 1. 
This is what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this opens and Abram is called out of his own people, his own family, and God rips him out of that and ultimately to start this new family, this new community. And God says that he's going to bless him and that ultimately Abraham and this family will be a blessing as well. They will be those that receive blessing and they will be those that give blessing to the nations, to all peoples, that through them, everyone will be blessed. So how should we think about this blessing? Well, first, God's loving promises to be faithful and to save his people. That's how we should think about this word blessing. In our cultural context, that word is used in such different ways. Like if I was talking to a youth group, I would be talking about hashtag bless, right? And we think about blessing in ways that the Bible really doesn't talk about it. We even see that, seen that applied to church's theology of this blessing of, of God just always taking care of every need that nothing bad should ever happen. But God here is saying like, man, things, bad things will happen. Ultimately, there will still be brokenness, but I will be faithful to you. I will love you. And I will always provide a way of salvation. In Genesis 12 here, we see God saying, I will over and over again. Even if you look at those three verses again, God says, I will, I will, I will. It all centers on God, what he will do, what he has promised, who he is. But then it turns to Abraham and this family. You will. And God says, you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, everyone, all these peoples, these nations will be blessed through you. That when this family, this community abides in the God who blesses, they will be sent by God to bless others. There's no maybes, there's no ifs, there's no buts. This is how it works in God's community, in God's family, in God's people. They will receive blessing and they will give blessing. Sent out of the love of God. And we see as scripture goes on, if we were to keep reading, this ultimate blessing comes through this family, sent through God in the form of God sending his own son, Jesus. Again, sent out of love by the Father, God faithfully keeping his promise to save his lost people. And Jesus himself is a descendant of Abraham, and he is the epitome of this blessing that is promised to Abraham. He can describe the blessedness of God's kingdom better than anyone else because he himself is the blessing. He is the blessed one. That's why we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, as Jesus talks about what it looks like to be blessed, 
when it comes to the kingdom of God and God's standard for blessedness. He talks about people and talks about attributes that the world wouldn't consider blessed, that it's blessed to be merciful. It's blessed to be meek. It's blessed to be poor in spirit. And he goes on and on. Jesus can say and speak into this reality because he perfectly lives and moves in this reality of being the blessed one. And we can just wonder, what would the world be like if all peoples received the blessing of God and in turn gave it to others in every circumstance and in every situation? But we look at our world and we look at our own lives and we know that that reality is not always the case. It oftentimes isn't the case that our flesh fights tooth and nail against this way of living, receiving the blessing and giving the blessing. That sometimes it's hard enough for us to receive a gift, an undeserved gift, that our flesh says, no, you have to earn this thing. You have to be good enough. Or you don't need anybody else's help. You can somehow attain this from within. But I'd say maybe it's even harder to give this blessing once you've received it. Imagine it's Christmas morning. Several of us can do that very easily, maybe all of us, since we just had Christmas not too long ago. But I want you to imagine that you're a kid again. And for some of you, you're welcome that I'm taking you back to that stage of your life. But imagine this Christmas morning, you've opened like every gift that you have, but there's one left. And you open it, and it is the thing that you have been asking for for months. You wrote a whole paper to your parents on why you wanted this gift. You talked about it with your friends. You've imagined and dreamed of how you are going to use it. And as that wrapping paper rips off, you're like, it's here. I can't believe it's mine. And you receive it with great joy. But just as you're finally getting those little twist ties off the back of it and the toy is coming out of the packaging, your parent says, oh, you know, I was watching your brother and sister open, watch you open that present, and it looks like they would love a turn with that toy. Would you mind sharing that with them right now? Like everything in you is like, what? No, why would I give this to them? I just got this thing. Like, shouldn't I be the one that enjoys it? They can wait. They got their own gifts. They got some good stuff. Why? It like repulses us even at the thought of just giving this away right away. And if someone's out there and if this scenario was to play out in your household with your kid and they would just be like, sure, mom, sure, dad, and give it, would you please write a book so that us other parents can know your ways and apply them to our own lives and our own parenting skills? Because that just like, that seems totally out of the realm of possibility. But we see that same thing still at play in our flesh in other scenarios as well. We see it at work in how we live as God's people, how the church even functions. And I want to ask the question for us to think about, and if you're with some other people, maybe it's a good thing to talk about as well. Where do I withhold what I have received in Christ from others? Where do I withhold 
what I have received in Christ from others. Maybe there's certain situations, certain people or peoples, areas even in your own heart that you've held off limits to God himself, which then if we think about it, directly impacts our ability to receive his blessing and then extend this blessing to others if we ourselves are closed off to God being at work in our own lives. Scripture doesn't actually leave much to the imagination of what it looks like when God's people choose to not bless the nations with what they have received themselves. Take the book of Jonah. A prophet, Jonah, sent by God to a place called Nineveh to bring not a message of blessing, but actually a message of judgment. But for some reason, Jonah keeps trying to run from God or avoid doing this thing of taking this message to these people. Ultimately, and you can go read Jonah for yourself, it's only four chapters long if you need more filling in the blanks here of what happens in this story. But ultimately, Jonah ends up at Nineveh due to God, and he shares this message half-heartedly with the Ninevites. And the whole city repents. The king himself leads the people in an act of repentance and they turn to the Lord and seek for God to be kind to them, merciful to them. And God, being the God that he is, relents from the judgment that he was going to bring about to Nineveh. And it's not till the final scenes of, the, of this book that we actually really see why Jonah ran from doing this in the first place. If you are already flipped to Jonah, great. If you're not, Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And this is right after God, God has relented from bringing about this judgment. So to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Like, did you catch there? why Jonah didn't want to come and even share this message with Nineveh. He's a prophet of God. He has received this blessing. He is under the blessing of being in this family of Abraham. And when he's told not to go share a message of blessing, but a message of judgment, he doesn't want to, not because he's afraid of rejection, not because he has a low view of himself, not because his faith is even small. He doesn't want to go because he knows how gracious and compassionate his God is. And he doesn't want any chance of Nineveh being blessed by his God. He looks at the very nature and character of his God, the blessing he himself, a sinner, has received. And he looks at this uh, people of Nineveh 
And he's like, I know how good my God is that I could go there and share a message of judgment. And somehow he's so good that he might turn that message around on its head and use it to bless these people. And I don't want that to happen. And I don't want to be a part of it. We look at this. And we're like, Jonah, why do you not want this community to be transformed by the good news of who our God is? And the rest of the story, if you finish out chapter four, it's just sad over and over again. You're like, come on, Jonah, you're totally missing it. To be the one who has received the blessing of God, but not wanting to carry it out and share it with others just doesn't make any sense when we look at who our God is and what he's like. The book of Jonah is an ugly reminder of what it can look like when we don't align ourselves with our God's generosity. My friend Adam Wilde often talks about God's generosity confronting the scarcity mindset that we so often have as people. As believers, we should not have this scarcity mindset because of who our God is and the abundance of what he has that we can trust even when things seem scarce, that our God is generous. In this situation, totally removed from, like I'm, this is on the, on the fly, the situation with our church our, and our building, our God has all the resources. I, we need to not have a scarcity mindset when it comes to our God. And we especially need to not have a scarcity mindset when it comes to blessing others. For the church today, we could spend our time in worship service after worship service. We could memorize whole books of scripture. We could have deep fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But with all that we have received, if we then in turn do not have a heart for the lost, if we aren't compelled to share with others the riches that we have received in Christ, We haven't actually understood who our God is with all our knowledge. We haven't understood all that our God has given us if we don't in turn then give it to others. Much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who carried this idea around that they are the blessed ones, but then in turn made it hard for others to receive this blessing. They were those that hoarded the blessing for themselves. Would we not be like them? But would we continually ask God for eyes to see all the opportunities that he's given us to be a community that is blessed and wants to share this blessing with the world? Jesus, the fulfillment of God's blessing, both being received and given, He wants to make sure that his disciples do not follow in the way of Jonah or in the way of these Pharisees. As he's calling his first disciples to follow him, he makes that abundantly clear, that they are to be a community on mission. Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. Come, follow me, Jesus says. Come into this community with me. Be where I am, where I'm at the center. And with that, too, they're brought closer to one another, his 12 disciples, like this inner core of Jesus' followers. But he also makes it abundantly clear to this new community that he's gathering to himself that they have a purpose, that they're going to be a community that goes, going to fish for people. It's as if he's saying what you experience, what you witness, what you receive as you follow me, this needs to be shared with others. When I tell you to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, this isn't just a theory to intrigue you, but it's to be put into practice out there in the world with your actual enemies that you are to extend the blessedness of my kingdom to others. As Jesus's earthly ministry ends in the sense of him ascending back up to the Father after he has died and risen again, he confirms this again for his community as he leaves them, that they are going to go to the world with good news. Matthew 28, Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we... I believe even just last year, we're in the book of Acts together. We saw a church, we saw a community that was devoted to gathering, devoted to prayer, devoted to fellowship, to teaching the scriptures, to coming under the authority of the apostles and learning from those that had walked with Jesus. But then we also saw them propelled by the Holy Spirit out into their communities, to their neighbors, and to the nations to share what they had received in Christ. So maybe at this point, some of you are already thinking, okay, I get it. Mission and community, they go hand in hand. To be a community is also to be on mission if we are actually to live as disciples of Jesus and follow the way of his kingdom. Awesome, you got it. But maybe you're also thinking, how do we do this? <laughs> and let me tell you, I do not have a perfect formula. There might be some churches out there or organizations that they say that they have the perfect formula. And that may be true, but oftentimes what I've seen is in a certain and specific context, that formula can be applied differently or maybe doesn't work one for one like it works in the context that they created that formula in. What I really wanted us to see first and foremost is scripturally, this is what God has set before his people from the start. You even go back to Adam and Eve. Hey, be fruitful, multiply. That same notion, right, is there in Genesis 12. Fruitful, flourishing, blessing. You will receive this blessing, but then you're to go out and multiply this blessing in the world. 
This is the way that God's world, his people work. This is always what he set out for his creation. One of the things I loved about teaching at Young Life or teaching a book of the Bible at youth group that maybe students weren't as familiar with is I loved seeing them lean in. Like I really picture Monday nights at at Young Life Club, all these students, most of them pretty unfamiliar with Jesus, leaning in, listening in awe of the claims that we're making about who our God is and what he's like. How in Jesus there is true hope. In Jesus there's true salvation. In Jesus there's true love. In Jesus there's true forgiveness. In the room I could come down to a whisper and you could hear a pin drop because of these students just wanting to know more. I think potential hurdle for us as a community if we want to be a Jesus-centered community on mission is we wouldn't have this same awe of the way that God wants his people to live. When we hear that God says, I have blessed you. You have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We like that. We love that even. Sometimes we've heard that so much we don't even fully understand what that means. I don't fully understand what that means, but I want to have this awe, this wonder of coming to know what that means more and more. We should have the same awe and wonder then when God says, go and share that with the world. Sometimes we compartmentalize it that God's only talking to a select few to go and share it with the world. Sometimes we think it's only through a vehicle of a ministry or only for those that are going to take this overseas, but God is saying for you, no matter what your context is, you are one that is blessed, and you are one that I want you to share this blessing with those who are lost, with others. Community itself is hard. I'd say especially the way that Jesus lays it out for us that we are to consider others greater than ourselves, that we're to serve one another, that we're to forgive each other, that we're to lovingly confront one another when we're in sin, we're to have unity, and that when we have wronged people, when our brokenness is exposed in depth of community as well, we're to ask for forgiveness, we're to make things right with one another, we're to grow. Community, as God describes it, is never easy. It's messy. It grinds against that flesh that we have where we just want to receive the goodness but none of the heart. Then in turn, God says, oh yeah, in that awesome, rich community that is hard and takes sacrifice, I want you to now go out there and invite other people that are broken into that community too. And we're like, God, I don't even know the names of all the people in this community for those that are starting community groups or at our church. I don't know the names of these people. And I'm still sifting through, like trying to have unity with these people and be on the same page as we have an election coming up and trying to find our commonality in Christ, and now you want me to go out there to people that are even more different than who I am and invite them into the picture as well, and for us to be a loving community together? And God says, yes. And I want you to do that again and again and again, 
because my people do not have a scarcity mindset. They have a generosity mindset. Lord, would you help us as harvest to do this? That should be our prayer over and over again. God, this is hard. Help. His power is perfect in our weakness. Another hurdle is that we might automatically eliminate ourselves from this way of living, this way of thinking about what it means to be the church of community on mission because of the stage of life we're in. That, oh, community on mission. That's for those people that have been following Jesus way longer than I have. I'm too young or too inexperienced. Or community on mission. That's for those younger people with all that time and with all that energy that they have. This is for all people, for our younger people. Yes, should you grow, should I grow in our wisdom, in our discernment, in our maturity in Christ? Totally. One of the best ways, I think, to do that is to actually go out and practice what Jesus said with others in community out there in a world. One of the ways I think that God grew me quickly, I hope quickly, maybe some of you would say it wasn't as quick as you wanted, was being involved in a ministry. And maybe it's not you're doing the whole thing of being a leader or, or uh, leading things up front, but maybe there are small ways you can come alongside ministries in our church and ministries out there to just start practicing blessing others. For our older people, I heard Francis Chan at a conference say one time, if we think about a race, when is it in a race that we actually run the fastest? It's as we get closer to the finish line. And so he, not I, he encouraged those that were older in the audience to think about what does it look like to finish the race well, to cross through that finish line and to fall into Jesus's arms. The last hurdle is that we, we might settle. We might just want a place where we're comfortable. That, man, I'm okay with the whole community thing, but mission, that's just too much. That's too hard. Or I'm good with the mission thing. I pendulum this way. Community people actually that know me, that I do life with, that I consider, that's too much that we might not want the boat to get rocked and that community on mission really rocks the boat because there are so many uncontrollable variables. <laughs> At Harvest, we want to grow as a community that goes. We hope that you see that our mission statement reflects that. We hope you see that as Greg, Greg, Greg and Lee are overseas right now, we're trying to make some inroads to both partner with the missionaries that we're supporting, but look for opportunities for our church to continue to go and be a blessing to the nations. With Alyssa leading a short-term trip this fall, partnering with some of our missionaries, we hope you see that we want to grow as those that go here at Harvest. But... While we do want to grow in our ability to go to the nations, we also want to go to the people right here in our backyard, to our neighbors, people here at home in our community. How do we do that? 
And we will continue to think about that. And when it makes sense, we will give you some forms or vehicles to do that. We even want our community groups to think about that as a community. How can we go together locally in our in, in Camas, in Washugal, in Vancouver? But a passage that God has used to shape how I view ministry, how I view going to others, and how he impacted me walking with teenagers for years is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In so many ways, Paul is just pretty much rephrasing this, we are blessed to be a blessing. He says, we have a God who has comforted us a God who will comfort us. He gives himself to us over and over again. And Paul says, so that we in turn can comfort others with the same comfort we have received from God when they are in trouble as well. Do you remember the ways that God has comforted you recently in the last couple months? Ways that even as you look back, before you knew God, how now as you look back, you can see a God behind the scenes comforting you, protecting you, leading you to himself. Do you remember coming to Christ in all the ways you were able to bring your sin, bring your shame, bring brokenness to him, and he comforted you, he made you new. God says that is not just for us to take hold of, and hoard it, but that we're to go out and be with people who have trouble and comfort them in the same ways, with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God to be an extension of God's comfort in the world. And if we think about it, we encounter people every day riddled with trouble. We need God's help to increase our attentiveness to how God's spirit might be leading us to go to them. We need to think about how to ask good questions, to know people, to know more than their, their name and what their job is, but to build trust with people that they might actually share some of the troubles that they might be experiencing. If we have been comforted by God, we have something to give to others. It's God's comfort. In the coming weeks, probably years, months, we're going to keep fleshing this out as a church so that we increasingly grow in our effectiveness to go to our neighbors and the nations. But a couple questions to think about as we conclude our time. Are community and mission present in my life? Are they separate groups of people? Is there any overlap people that I have depth of community with and that I'm on mission with as well? Do I know and love the people, for those that are on mission, do I know and love the people that I'm on mission with? As community groups are starting, where might God be calling us to go on mission together? How has God even arranged our group where maybe there's a shared focus or a shared heart that we have to go? 
Many of you already are on mission in ministry or in your workplace or family. How can your church community, how can we support you? How can we pray with you? How can we check in and see how you're doing? We would love to do that. And part of that is just you letting us know and you letting other people know in your church the ways that God has called you to go locally. And the last question would be this. Where do I need to rearrange my life in order to have a life that has overlap of community and mission? Harvest, let's not pendulum swing from one to the other. Or if you're listening and you're like, man, I don't have community. I don't have mission present in my life at all. Would you please let us know that? We would love to talk to you more about that and connect you with others in our church body to have that community, to, ha- to start going on mission. We love you, Harvest. Let me just pray for us as we conclude. God, we love and we want to be in awe of how you have arranged your people. Would you help us to grow in our effectiveness and our ability to have depth of community that's on mission? We need your help, Lord, to grow in these ways. We thank you for who you've brought to our church, that we have the blessing of a building, but our building doesn't make us harvest. Would you keep teaching us that? And even in this weird season we're about to enter, would it be a season where it causes us to see all the opportunities we have to go as a blessing to the world? In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. We look forward to being back together soon. We'll give you more details on that in the coming week. God bless.